0: 463 years ago, 463 years ago today, the people of Smithfield, England, watched the Puritan minister, John Rogers, calmly walk to the stake. Under the reign of Bloody Mary, he was, in the words of J.C. Ryle, the first leading English reformer who broke the ice and crossed the river. As he walked to the stake, he comforted himself by repeating the words of Psalm 51. Those were his last known words. John Rogers was condemned to death because he preached that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. A French ambassador at the time who witnessed Rogers' death, he wrote that Rogers went to his death as if he was walking to his wedding. Rogers was able to calmly... And confidently go to his death because he knew that Jesus really was his only comfort in life and in death. And on his way to the stake, Rogers had the chance to stop and greet his wife and ten children. None of whom he had the privilege of seeing during his time of imprisonment until that day, the day of his death. A few days prior, though, he had comprised a lengthy poem to them. uh, Which effectively served as his last words to them. Here are but a few lines from Roger's last words to his children. Give ear, my children, to my words, whom God hath dearly bought. Lay his laws within your heart and print them in your thoughts. By our Savior's precious blood, which on the cross was spilt, who freely offered up his life to save our souls from guilt. I hope redemption I shall have, and all who in him trust, when I shall see him face to face and live among the just. Farewell, my true and loving wife, my children and my friends. I hope in heaven to see you all when all things have their end. If you go on to serve the Lord as you have now begun, You shall walk safely all your days until your life be done. God grant you so to end your days, as he shall think it best, that I might meet you in the heavens where I do hope to rest. These were just a few of his last words. You know, our last words can mean very little. And they can mean a lot, especially if we're endeavoring to be deliberate with them, as John Rogers was. Someone's last words can be words to live by. In fact, that's precisely what the people of Israel were to do with Moses' last words. And this morning, as we begin our study of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses' last words to his children, to the children of Israel, That's what we're thinking about. These are the words that Moses imparted to the people of Israel as they were preparing to enter the promised land, the land of Canaan. They were words to live by. And we need to think about whether or not and how these are words that we might live by too. If you haven't done so already, let me invite you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, then you should be able to find the passage beginning on page 145. 145. And while you're turning there, please allow me to introduce us to the book of Deuteronomy as a whole. Uh, very briefly, I want to mention something about the book's author, date, name, structure, and message. And then we'll dive into the passage that we're looking at, especially together this morning. First, Moses is the essential author of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And while Moses was the essential author of Deuteronomy, some very small portions of the book were supplied by an inspired editor after the death of Moses. Nevertheless, the the book of Deuteronomy itself is essentially comprised of three speeches from Moses. Three speeches, which may have been one long speech. Think of it as a three-point sermon. Uh, In the main, Moses is the book's author. Uh, This book was effectively written really as Moses spoke. And this book was spoken in the final days of Moses' life, which is around 1400 BC. The book ends with Moses going up on a mountain to die. Uh, These are Moses' last words, his famous last words to the people of Israel. The name of this book, Deuteronomy, means second law. Uh, Now that's a a slightly misleading title. For what we have in the book is not really a second law, but a restatement of the law already given. In this book, Moses explains the law to the people of Israel as they're about to head into the promised land of Canaan. You can get a sense of that uh, in verse 5 of the text that we're going to be thinking about this morning, where we're told that Moses was giving himself to explaining the law. In Hebrew, uh, this book is simply called, These Are the Words. It's how the book opens I think that's a striking name for the book. These opening words are of such great consequence that they can serve as the title or the name of the book. I mentioned before that this book is comprised of three speeches of Moses. It's the structure and shape of this book, the structure that it takes. The first speech, it really begins uh, in chapter 1, and it continues all the way to chapter 4, verse 43. And in this first speech, Moses calls the people of Israel to remember their failure. And to remember God's faithfulness. The second speech begins there in verse 44 of chapter 4 and carries all the way through chapter 26, verse 68. And Moses' purpose there is to call the people of Israel to remember God's law and so live by love. And the final speech begins in chapter 29 and ends in chapter 30. But attached to it, something of a conclusion to the message as a whole, in chapters 31 to 34. In that final speech and conclusion, Moses is concerned to communicate that the people of Israel need to remember God's promises and proceed in God's power. And I hope that this brief summary of the structure of the book gives you an appreciation for its central message, which is simply this. This is what I think is the central message of the book of Deuteronomy. God loves his children, and his children are to love him. Now, this book was immensely practical for the ancient people of God because the book outlined how God's children were to love him. They were to love him by means of worship and by keeping his commandments. That's what a great deal of the middle section of the book is about. And we should note that God's love precedes the love of his people. The message of Deuteronomy is not, you've got to love God if you want God to love you. No. No, the, the message of Deuteronomy is this, we love because he first loved us. God loves his children, and his children are to love him. Now, let's stick our nose in the actual text now, and as we, as we read, uh, see if you can spot a commandment from God. This book has a lot of commandments in them, but I want you to see if you can spot the, the, maybe the central one, and I'll give you a hint. It's a simple two-letter word. Let me read Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 1 to 8 now. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan, in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is 11 days journey from Horeb, by the way of Mount Seir, to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. After he had defeated Sion, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtoreth, and in Edri, beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn. And take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. To give to them and to their offspring after them. I'm sure you notice that the main command in these verses is found in that two-letter little, uh, two letter, little word, go. That two-letter command is, is found in at least two places, verse 7 and verse 8. Verse 7, take, turn and take your journey and go. And then if you see there in verse 8, See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land. Here is the very simple message of Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Go. If you wanted a one-sentence summary of what this portion of God's Word communicates, this would be it. Go into the land in light of the past and in the power of God's promises. Go into the land in light of the past and in the power of God's promises. This is a message that we as Christians can take hold of, too. We are called to go, not into Palestine, but into all the world. We are to go in light of what God has done for us in the past, and we go in light of his precious promises to us in Jesus Christ. And if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to examine this text under two headings. Go in light of the past, and go in the power of God's promises. Let's begin with our first point. Go in light of the past, and as we do, let me read Deuteronomy chapter one, verses one through four. Take a look at Deuteronomy chapter one, verses one through four. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month. Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. After he had defeated Sion, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and in Edri. Well, here we have a brief rehearsal of the past. This rehearsal, as Deuteronomy rolls on, is actually going to be explained and expanded and extended out until almost the end of Deuteronomy chapter 4. For now, in these four verses, Moses gives us a short rehearsal of the past. This rehearsal has a punch to the gut and a point. We're not looking at a random series of places. We're looking at places that speak of Israel's past tragedies and God's past triumphs. We're looking at Israel's past failures and God's past victories, his faithfulness. Now notice in verse one that we have the setting of Moses' speech. We also have the audience, and here Moses, he's speaking to all of Israel. No one is left out. And here's a, a fun piece of trivia why this book fits so well together. Those words, "all Israel," occur not only in the first verse of the book, but in the very last verse of the book, Deuteronomy 34:12. "Everything from beginning to end in this book is for all of Israel." Where is Moses speaking to all Israel? Well, he's speaking to Israel, all Israel, beyond the Jordan, in the wilderness. And where where exactly? Well, uh, the remainder of verse 1 describes kind of the the general area. Uh, This speech was given in the Arabah, opposite soup, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizab. And I know uh, those locations don't mean a lot to you and me, but they would have been obvious markers for the ancient people of God. We, we do this kind of, of thing today, right? When we, we give people directions, we give them landmarks. It's going to be in this area around that. You know, you come down the street, you see the big orange sign that says broiler. Just turn in there. You'll know where you are, right? We give people landmarks where we are, and where we're going. And that's exactly what Moses is doing. He's, he's laying out landmarks. These places are landmarks here in verse 1. We're getting a description of this general area where this speech from Moses took place. And essentially, this speech took place outside the promised land, in the land of Moab, as we see there in verse 5. And that note actually connects the book of Deuteronomy to the book that went before it, to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers ended in the plains of Moab. And so we're, we're reading a story that, that has a past, we're, we're being told. Moses' last words to all Israel are given on the edge of the land that God promised to give them. That is the audience and the setting. But what's the situation? Take a look at verse 2. Here we're confronted with Israel's past failures. Verse 2, it is 11 days journey from Horeb, by the way of Mount Seir, to Kadesh Barnea. This is the verse that is effectively the punch in the gut. Um, This is the verse that every ancient Israelite would have been embarrassed to read. You see, Horeb, that's just another name for Mount Sinai. The place that God gave his law and reminded his people that he was giving them a land. It was the place from which God told them to go and to make their journey to the promised land. As you can see there in verse 6. If you go by the way of Mount Seir, you can make it to Kadesh Barnea in just 11 days. You can make it to the edge of the promised land from Mount Sinai in just 11 days. And from Kadesh Barnea, you can launch an invasion into the promised land. The people of Israel could have made a swift and surprising attack. But then notice how verse three opens up. In the fortieth year. Ugh, I mean that's that's the punch in the gut. What could have taken eleven days took forty years. You you should have been in this land forty years ago, Israel. Why weren't they? What what happened? Well, quite simply, they rebelled against God's commands. He said, "Go," and they said, "No." Uh, perhaps you remember the story. It's found in Numbers, chapters 13 and 14. God had led the people of Israel to the edge of the promised land, and he instructed them to send spies into the land. Twelve spies went in, and twelve spies came out. Two of those spies uh, said to the people of Israel, You know, God's giving us a good land. We can take it. God is on our side. And ten of those spies told the people of Israel, No, it's a bad land with big men. We can't take it. We, we know that God said go, but we're going to say no. This is a bad idea. Because the people of Israel rebelled against the command of the Lord, because they disobeyed, God punished them. That rebellious generation was forced to wander 40 years until they all died off in the wilderness. All died except the two spies who wanted to obey the Lord, Joshua and Caleb. Verses 2 and 3 are words that would have reminded the people of Israel of their past. They are words which would have served as a warning. Here's the warning Don't commit the same sin that your parents did. Don't do what happened here 40 years before. Disobedience leads to delay and death. Do not disobey. Learn from your past. Do not delay. Do not disobey, but go. Choose obedience. Choose life in the land. Go. And this, I think, is also a fresh start, right? There is a, a fresh start for this generation in the sense that Moses will yet again undertake to explain and expound the law of God for the people of God. He will not leave out any part. He, verse 3 tells us, spoke to the people of Israel according to all. That the Lord had given him in commandment to them. They were going into the land equipped with everything they needed for life and godliness. And what a gift from Moses. He would spend his last days preaching as a dying man to those in need of instruction. He had spent his retirement years from 80 to 120 teaching, leading, and guiding this people. They were God's children. But in a sense, they were also Moses' children. He loved them. He loved them so much that he would not leave anything out. And may I take a moment here and make a, a word of application to our older saints, the older saints of our congregation. You may be in the latter years of your life here on this earth, but like Moses, you are a precious gift to this household of faith. Some of you view yourselves as honorary grandparents, And you are, and you're more than that too. Uh, God has given you wisdom that has accumulated over the years, and we need you to share that wisdom with us. Share it with us in Bible studies throughout the week, in conversations after church, and on all sorts of occasions. Thank you for drawing near to those of us who are younger. Thank you for praying for us and for teaching us through your quiet example of faithfulness. Please do continue to draw near. As the Lord gives you strength and energy, draw near to us more and more. Spend your last days like Moses, loving God's children so much that you share God's wisdom with us. And since Moses is speaking to the children of Israel, I'd also like to offer a word of application to the children of our congregation. Children, youth, young adults, Um. The book of Deuteronomy is a lengthy address. It's a long talk from Moses. And you may feel like your parents give you a lengthy address from time to time. They probably do. Uh, and if they're wise, uh, and you, they'll especially do it when you are not in trouble. Uh, your parents are trying to teach you and pass on wisdom. So, so let me encourage you to give them your full Attention. If they are excited about something, they're excited to teach you something, and they're taking a long time to explain it, that's an indication that it's important to them and they think it's important for you to hear. Your parents give you thorough instruction because they love you and they want to see you learn and grow and walk in wisdom and truth and love. When your parents give you an address, give them your attention. There's another thing that we need to take away from verse 3. Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. Moses taught the people of God the entire revelation of God. That is what the elders of this church are committed to doing. That is why the the main diet of preaching here in this congregation is comprised of setting through books of the Bible. It's why we move uh, back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And sprinkling psalms in between. Uh, It's why... Uh, the elders of this church are committed to teaching through the whole of God's revelation so that we, as the people of God, are equipped for every good work. So please pray for us as we give ourselves to this task. Pray for us as we endeavor to do what Jesus commanded in Matthew twenty-eight twenty, teaching God's people to observe all that he commanded. Please do join us tonight uh, at 5 p.m. where our brother Chris Crook will help us to think more about that verse, about Matthew twenty-eight twenty. Well, Moses, he spoke all of the commandments, spoke all the commandments the Lord had given to the people of Israel. And this is essentially, I think, amounting to a fresh start. Here here we go, we're going to begin again. Um, They would, in a new and fresh way, bear the responsibility to reflect the love of the Lord in their lives by living out his commands. Still, there's also a fresh encouragement in verse four. What were the people of Israel going to do once they entered the land of Canaan? Well, they were going to fight. Uh, invading armies are not a welcome sight. And as soon as they cross the Jordan River, they will be a threat. They'll be a threat to the lands living there. Um, do you see how verse 4 serves as a fresh encouragement? It's a reminder of what happened to the past. This is a reminder of past victories. The people of Israel are being told, you know, remember those battles with Sion and Og? And the name Og just sounds ominous, doesn't it? Like, you've got to be a bad man if your parents name you Og. Anyway, the the people of Israel, they're being called to remember here. Remember how God fought for us, how he defended us, how he delivered us, and gave us victory. The the implication is he's going to do it again. Go, remember how he was victorious in the past. Go, for he's guaranteed us victory in the land. You can go and read about the Lord's victories over Sion and Og in Numbers uh, 21 later this afternoon. If you do, you'll find uh, this phrase in verse 34 of that chapter. I have given him into your hand. That's the Lord reassuring his people that they will have victory over Og. And it's not unlike what we read in verse 8. See, I have set the land before you. It's this gift that's going to happen. What we have here have in this fresh encouragement is striking, I think. Um, Maybe it is something that we really need to consider for our own lives. Our past failures, disobediences, sin, do not determine our future. To this day, God still invites sinners into his promised land of heaven. I wonder if you're here this morning, and you're, you're thinking about your life, and you're feeling hopeless. Maybe you're thinking that your past has too much to overcome. Uh, Maybe you think that your past is insurmountable. Maybe you are staring your disobedience in the face and you are fearful because you know you deserve death. Well, friend, the truth that the Bible teaches is that disobedience does bring death. It has taught that from the very beginning. In, In the very beginning, God made the world. He made the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. And God gave them one command. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From the day in which you eat of it, you will surely die. And what did that first man and woman do? What did Adam and Eve do? They they disobeyed. And they ate of that tree. And on that day, death entered the world. That principle, disobedience brings death, has been carrying on from the very beginning. Writing in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells us that the wages of sin, which is simply disobedience to God, that's what sin is. The wages of sin is death. Paul said that in Romans 6.23. Sin and death have become our great enemies. Enemies that need to be defeated. And the good news of this passage and of the Bible as a whole is that God defeats our enemies even though we have disobeyed. Yes, God defeated Sion and Og for Israel, but he has done something even better. He's defeated sin and death in and through the ministry of Jesus. In Jesus, there is deliverance from the consequences of our disobedience. In Jesus, there is deliverance from death. You see, in God's great love for disobedient people like you and me, he sent his one and only most beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, lived the life of perfect obedience to God the Father. Jesus never sinned. He never disobeyed. In fact, when God the Father told Jesus to go to the cross to die for sinners like you and me, he went. He willingly went. Jesus went to the cross and on the cross he bore the punishment for our sin. He was paid the wages for our sin. And now Jesus calls us to turn from our sin and to place our faith in him. And three days after his death, God raised Jesus from the dead, vindicating him, showing his victory over sin and death, proving to us all That his life and death on behalf of repentant sinners was acceptable in God's sight. Friend, maybe you have a wretched past. Maybe you feel like you can't forgive yourself for the things you've done. But God can and will. Turn from your sin and place your faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus lived for you died for you and was raised from the grave in victory over your sin. Believe and go forward following the Lord Jesus in faith. Go forward and follow the Lord Jesus. Go forward and follow Jesus, not in light of your past, but in light of what Jesus has done for you in the past. And if you want to know more about what it means to trust in Jesus and go forward and follow Him in faith, please do find me at the door after the service. I'd love to talk to you about this good news about the Savior of the world. I'd love to talk with you more about Jesus Christ. And Christian, let me encourage you. If you are struggling and weary, if if Satan is accusing you and bringing up your past disobedience and sin, remember the past victory of Jesus. Remember this when you are brought yet again to that place where you disobeyed in the past. Remember that your past disobedience does not define your identity or determine your future. Remember when you're staring at your computer or your tablet or your phone and you're tempted to go somewhere you shouldn't? Your past disobedience does not define your identity or determine your future. Remember when your kids scream and fight and you want to scream back? Remember that your past disobedience does not define your identity or determine your future. Remember when your coworker makes that unkind remark to you and an unkind zinger pops into your mind and you are ready to speak. Remember that your past disobedience does not define your identity or determine your future. You don't have to go the way that you've gone before you can go and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that your past deliverance in Jesus is what defines your identity and determines your future. Go in light of the fact that your past has been reshaped and redeemed in Jesus. Go in light of your past for you have been united with Jesus Christ in victory over sin and death. We thought about how Moses Is encouraging the people of Israel to go into the promised land in light of the past. Let's turn now and consider our second point go in the power of God's promises. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 teaches us that we are to go in the power of God's promises. Read Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, the Lord our God said to us in Horeb, remember that's Mount Sinai, said to us in Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev, and by the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites, And Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. Well, in these verses, the the rehearsal of history really continues. Uh, In verse 6, Moses reminds the people of Israel what God said to them at Mount Horeb. Mount Sinai, 40 years ago. They had been there long enough. It was time for them to go. It was time for them to press on into the promised land and to receive their inheritance. Verse 7 confronts us with geography. And for some of us here today, geography is boring. Uh, But you know who wouldn't have been bored by this description? Those first hearing it. Uh, They would have loved to hear Moses give this description. They would have loved to hear the phrase, hill country. They would have heard that phrase in verse 7 and thought, home. That's going to be my home. Remember, brothers and sisters, these saints of old have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. No one here, if they're sane, no one here really likes moving. No one likes packing up their stuff and unpacking it somewhere else. It is difficult and tiresome, and it makes us cranky. This is what the people of Israel did over and over again for 40 years. They were constantly moving. This description of the promised land would have soothed their souls. They would have heard Moses speak of the seacoast and imagine playing in the water with their kids. They'd have heard Moses speak of the the great river and imagine how fertile and good the land was as opposed to this terrible wilderness. This description would have filled their hearts with thanks and praise. They would have heard this description and thought, we have an incredibly generous God. This land that he is giving us, it, it seems to stretch on forever. We have room to spread out. This promise of land was so great And so generous that Israel never actually fully possessed it all. Never fully lived in all of it. The closest they came to inhabiting the whole land described here was during the height of Solomon's reign. God was promising to provide them with all the land that they could want or need. We look back on this promise of land and think, you know, that promise has has not yet been fulfilled. But that's not actually what the ancient people of God thought. That's not what the ancient scriptures taught and teach. After entering, conquering, and settling the promised land, Joshua himself said, Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. That's what he said in Joshua 21, verse 45. This is how powerful God's promises are. This is how powerful God is in keeping his promises. He keeps them in full. And the author Joshua didn't choose a single promise or a single sentence of promise or a single phrase of a promise. He said not one word of all of God's promises had failed. No portion of God's promises slipped through the cracks. God sustained and fulfilled every dot of an eye of his promises, and he did it in full. And you know something else? The writers of the New Testament teach us that while at one level the ancient people of God were longing for this land, they were longing for something even better. The writer of the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, that the ancient people of God were longing for a better country, that is, a heavenly one. In other words, the ancient people of God saw that God's promise of land was typological and that the earthly provision was actually but a dim picture of what they and we would one day be given in heavenly glory. Brothers and sisters in Christ, just as surely as God kept his promises to give his people land on earth, so he will just as surely give us the gift of the new heavens and the new earth. It will be a place that will stretch on without end. It will be filled with beautiful hills and great rivers. It will be our home. This world is our wilderness. That's what we read about in 1 Peter earlier this morning. There were strangers and exiles, we're, we're wandering. This is just the place that we're passing through. Now, if we're honest, there's something unsettling about how this ancient text strikes our modern ears. Many of us uh, may be troubled by that word take in verse 8. When we witness modern nations taking lands from other nations today, we, we cringe. And I think rightly so. So what makes this okay? What makes it okay for the people of Israel to go in and to take the land of other nations, well, the, the language of verse eight is actually the technical language of an ancient land grant. God is granting; He is giving the people of Israel the land. And we must remember that, as Psalm twenty-four one makes plain, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the uh, the world and those who dwell therein. See, we we have a natural tendency of thinking that nations own their land. But in truth, God owns it all. He always has, and he always will. He made it all, and that's why he owns it all. Because he owns it all, he can do with it what he pleases. While it's true that from a a horizontal and human perspective, the people of Israel are taking the land from a divine and vertical perspective, what is really happening is that God is giving his people the land that he swore to them, the land that he promised them. And he has been pleased uh, and, and, and he has been pleased to promise and, and give this particular piece of land, as you see there, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob and to give to them and to their offspring after them. And that language, that concluding language of verse eight, we are reminded of God's covenant promises. See, in fact, everything in verse eight precedes, uh, that precedes verse eight is built upon this covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and to their offspring, after them. Covenants have parties, uh, they have promises, and they have obligations. A covenant is a relational bond between parties that comes about by means of a promise and carries with it ongoing obligations. So the most, most common covenants uh, that we, uh, that occur in our world today are marriage covenants. right? There are two parties, a man and a woman. Uh, they make promises to one another. We call those Vows. And they have ongoing obligations to love each other. And what we're seeing here is that God is being faithful to his promises. To the covenant that he made with Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. In those chapters, what we discover is that among other things, God promised Abraham and his offspring this land. Think about this. These covenant promises are hundreds of years old. This is how persistent... Faithful and powerful our God is. He sees his promises through no matter how long it takes. His covenant is not broken by the disobedience of the people of Israel. Though they are faithless, he remains faithful. God himself ensures that the obligations of the covenant are fulfilled. And so the blessings of the covenant come to pass. And when the people of Israel were hearing Moses utter the words, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their offspring after them, they would have been encouraged to think, God is faithful to his promises. Our fathers trusted him, and we can trust him too. Let's, let's go into the land. What about us? What does this mean for you and me? Are we in any meaningful sense connected to that covenant that God made with Abraham? So many thousands of years ago. Well, in fact, we are. Uh, Notice the last few words of verse 8, to their offspring after them. See, offspring is just another word for children or descendants. And did you know that if you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are of the offspring of Abraham. Abraham. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are of the offspring of Abraham. That's what the apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter three, verse seven. Paul says, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Now, Paul wanted to make sure that we didn't miss this truth, so he said it again two verses later in Galatians chapter three, verse nine, saying, so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And because sometimes we're obtuse uh, he said it again in Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 this time connecting us to Abraham through Jesus Paul wrote in Galatians 3:29 and if you are Christ's then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to promise. So you see if you are a child of Abraham, that is if you believe in Jesus, these are God's promises to you you are a recipient of the blessings of the covenant that God made so many thousands of years ago to Abraham. And you have the hope not of a land in Canaan, not in Palestine, but of the promised land of heaven. Just like Abraham had. And just as we heard about earlier from Hebrews chapter 11, we're longing for a better country that is a heavenly one. And this means that we too ought to go and conquer the nation's In the power of God's promises. And this is where I want us to conclude. At the end of Matthew's gospel, more than 1,400 years after Moses gave this speech, our Savior, he gathered his disciples and gave them a speech. It was a speech that sounded an awful lot like this one in Deuteronomy 1. Matthew's gospel has presented Jesus as the new Moses. Like Moses, Jesus was rescued from a ruler who wanted to kill babies. As Moses wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, so Jesus wandered in the wilderness for 40 days, recapitulating Israel's journey. And as Moses gave God's people God's law on a mountain, so Jesus preached a sermon. So Jesus gave God's people God's law on a mountain. as Moses' face displayed the bright and shining glory of God on a mountain, after speaking with God, so Jesus' whole person displayed the bright and shining glory of God. In his transfiguration. And as Moses gave a speech of the end of his earthly ministry, so Jesus gave a speech at the end of his earthly ministry. You see, Jesus, he gathered a new nation. A new people around him. And he told them, like Moses, to go and conquer the nations. Jesus told his followers to go and conquer the nations with the good news about him. He told his disciples to proclaim his past victory. That he had defeated the enemies of sin and death. He told them to go and conquer not just the nations who were living in Palestine. But the nations that covered the whole earth. He sent them with a message that does not say get out of my kingdom. But come into my kingdom. Unlike Moses who died outside the promised land. Jesus has gone before us. Unlike Moses who did not go with God's people. Jesus does go with God's people. He promised that he would always be with us. Brothers and sisters, Moses commanded the people of Israel to go. And as we read through the Bible, we learn that they went. They faced a fearful prospect. Uh, there were giants living in the land. Uh, maybe you feel that way when you're sharing the good news about Jesus with others. Maybe you feel like your friends and family and coworkers are nine feet tall. Don't forget That your God is bigger and more powerful and that he loves to redeem the most reticent, the most resistant, and the most recalcitrant. He did that with Paul and I suspect that he did that with you. Moses commanded the people of Israel to go and they went. We need to learn from their example. We need to learn from their obedience. We need to learn from their faith. Jesus has commanded us to go. Will we? Are we? Whom are you taking the good news of Jesus to? Go in the power of his promise that he is with you. Go knowing that it is his power and his power alone which takes hearts of stone and turns them into hearts of flesh. Let's not disobey. Let's not delay. Let's go in light of Jesus' victory over sin and death. Let's go in light of his promises to gather people around his throne from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Let's go in light of our past, in light of our union with Jesus in his death and resurrection. Let's go in the power of his promises and the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this gracious word of encouragement to us. Father, though we are in in some ways forced to stare our past sins in the face, we give you thanks that you do not deal with us as our sins deserve, but that you, in your rich mercy, deal with us in and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you welcome us, call us to be your sons and daughters. Father, strengthen us to go and walk and follow the Lord Jesus in faith. Give us the strength to go and invite others to come into his kingdom. Help us to go in faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.